Welcome to Musings from the Manse. The Virtual Pilgrim, Exeter to Sidmouth. The warning sign said, Parts of this footpath are not accessible during high tide. Extract from Reflections Notebook, Sunday 30th of July 2017. Week 3 began early in the morning with a walk beside the River X. I did have some concerns about whether I might need to do some backtracking at one point, as there are areas of the footpath that are cut off during high tide. Unsure of whether the tide was high or not, I decided to press on, and apart from getting fairly wet from having to walk through the head-high reeds, which were still very dewy, and one quite muddy patch, I was relieved to discover the tide wasn't high. I had enjoyed my day and a half in the city, and as I walked away from it I realised how much I had taken the opportunity to access the internet, either through mobile phone networks or open Wi-Fi access, which was so much more readily available than it was when I was out in the countryside. And it got me thinking about the internet and pilgrimage. When I first came up with the plan to make this pilgrimage journey, my first destination for information was my laptop and the internet. And I was able to discover all sorts of advice, blogs, guides and suggestions for the would-be pilgrim with just a few searches. I was surprised to discover that there are quite a few websites and organisations who arrange virtual pilgrimages. These give you the opportunity to experience the pilgrimage from the comfort of your own home. And it's possible to discover enough photographs and video clips of the Camino de Santiago online that if you spent the time viewing them in order, you could imagine you had actually made the trip. There is at least one website that offers virtual pilgrimages to Lourdes. Another invited people to pilgrim daily with the Pope on his trip to the USA in 2015. And still another one offers to take you on a virtual pilgrimage to the Holy Lands. At first glance this seemed to me to defeat one of the key elements of pilgrimage, getting up and doing it for yourself. And it made me wonder whether this is another of the gifts of the internet age. It has been said that the world is smaller now than it ever has been. The relative affordability of flights and the plethora of tours, packages and guides means that we can visit almost any part of the world that we want to. But this isn't in itself totally new. What is new, relatively, is the ability to visit anywhere with applications such as Google Maps and to follow the progress of friends through their Facebook posts or other social media uploads as they trot around the globe. I can zoom in to a small village in rural India, a city street in China or a mountain path in Peru, drop a pin and instantly have a 3D view of a location on the other side of the planet. The internet was certainly useful to me in planning my pilgrimage route and working out how best to take in the different places that I wanted to visit. But I wondered whether somehow it also had the power to devalue pilgrimage too. 
I thought about this idea of virtual pilgrimage quite a lot more during my own walk. And when I returned home, and as I reflected on my initial thoughts, I started to question whether they were wholly accurate. There is quite a lot of evidence that perhaps virtual pilgrimage isn't the new thing I imagined it to be. In medieval times, when pilgrimage was in a golden age, there were many for whom pilgrimage was simply out of the question. Earlier this year, Talking Humanities published a brief article by Dr Matthew Coynes entitled, Virtual Travel Isn't Such a New Idea. For most medieval Europeans, it was a lifetime ambition to travel on pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Prayerful devotion in the world's holiest city would earn visitors valuable time off purgatory, yet the cost of long-distance travel made such a journey affordable for only a fraction of the population. For women in enclosed monastic orders, who had vowed to spend their life isolated from the outside world, Travelling to the Holy Land in person was impossible. Instead, they became virtual pilgrims. Without access to modern technology, nuns had to use more creative means to travel to Jerusalem in their imaginations. They traced their journeys on maps, listened to passages from pilgrimage accounts, and touched or kissed illustrations of holy places. Some physically walked around their convents, identifying different rooms as important churches or imagining their peers as figures from biblical history, a medieval version of augmented reality. They said the same prayers as real pilgrims and in return were granted the same spiritual benefits. By the middle of the 15th century, virtual pilgrimage had become so widespread that those returning from the Holy Land began writing guides specifically for this kind of use. Gabriel Capodilista, a nobleman who travelled to Jerusalem in 1458, donated a beautifully illuminated manuscript account of his journey to the convent of Saint Badnino in Padua. It opens with a dedication in which Gabriel states that he has decided to share his experience. So that hearing how the voyage is undertaken, and of that most sacred place, you might attribute this commemoration to personal visitation, and through this achieve priceless spiritual fruits. With a map of the Holy Land, an illustration of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, and decorative crosses marking all the must-see sites, the book was a complete guide for virtual pilgrims. It must have been gratefully received by the nuns at San Badinino, and Gabriel himself could rest assured that he would be rewarded in heaven for his devout act. Extract from Talking Humanities website I guess it is important to remember that having the opportunity to undertake this pilgrimage journey was a real privilege and that there are many people that would love to do something similar, but simply won't get the chance. I am also reminded that beyond being a privilege, it is also a luxury. I chose to take this walk, and there are still thousands of people in the world who find themselves setting out on journeys with little or no notice, often leaving everything they own behind, unsure about where they are heading, 
simply hoping that somewhere they will find hospitality and sanctuary from the unimaginable troubles in their lives. Who stole my church? Sidmouth to Colliford. A very pleasant evening spent with Frank and Joe talking about the challenges of church and change. Extract from Reflections Notebook, Tuesday, 1st of August, 2017. Not the furthest walk of my pilgrimage, but one of considerable climbing and descending along the south-west coast path from Sidmouth to Seaton, before heading inland a little to Colliford. This is a stunningly beautiful coastline, and despite the wet, muddy path underfoot requiring me to keep my eyes fixed for most of the time on where I was walking, the reward for each climb was a brief rest to enjoy the spectacular views. My hosts for the evening were very generous in offering to wash my clothes, but my attempt to freshen up my colourful hat ended in disaster, as the washing powder didn't react well to the proofing wax. The result was a bit of a rainbow slime, and so the hat ended up in the bin. During the evening we talked and shared with each other some of our church experiences. During our conversation they mentioned a book they thought I might enjoy reading. Who Stole My Church? What to do when the church you love tries to enter the 21st century? This was one of the things that I had really been hoping for when I first put together the plans for my pilgrimage. The opportunity to spend time hearing from and learning from others as they made their own faith journeys as individuals or in community. There were many nights when I enjoyed the solitude of an empty church to reflect on my day, and others when the warmth of conversation was equally welcome. What do you do when the church you know and love changes? The book, Who Stole My Church, tackles the challenges faced when a church finds itself trying to move with the times, but also keep people on board. Written as a story, the book engages with a fictional church, dealing with this very challenge. In the preface to the book, the author explains something of a conversation with a Christian friend that had prompted him to write it. His anguish and his anger began with a young pastor who had been appointed with a challenge from the church's leadership to stir things up with a new vision. His mandate... Make the church grow like the Willow Creeks, the Saddlebacks, the Mars Hills and all the other megachurches that have appeared during the last decade. According to my friend, most of the church members, in particular the older generation, had no idea what they were getting themselves into when all the growth talk began. Who would protest against, he asked, the idea of finding fresh ways to evangelise the unchurched? But what people expected was merely a fresh voice in the pulpit and a programme or two imported from some more successful churches. Here's what I heard him saying. What he and his fellow church members had not anticipated was a total shift in the church's culture, a reinvention, a favourite word of mine, of ways to love God and serve people. What they did not see coming was a reshuffling of the church's priorities, 
so that lost and broken people rather than found and supposedly fixed people became the primary target audience. In summary, virtually everything in the life of their church under new leadership became focused on reaching people who were not yet there. Who stole my church? Gordon MacDonald. I was fascinated by this introduction to the book and made a note in my Reflections notebook to download a copy to my tablet as soon as possible. Of course, as soon as possible has been a year now, but I plan to take it with me to read during my summer holiday next week, and perhaps I will add some reflections on it later in this book. Pilgrimage and Prayer Colliford to Whitchurch Canonicorum Know yourself before you try to fix others. Extract from Reflections Notebook, Wednesday, 2nd of August, 2017. Pouring rain and strong winds were my companions as I walked to Whitchurch Canonicorum. A lot of pleasant footpaths through fields and woodland made the day bearable, despite some rather difficult and aggressive clouds. I was expecting to spend the night in the historic St Candida and Holy Cross Church, which was not an altogether appealing thought as I arrived soaking wet from my six-hour walk. Such a blessing to be met by Hilary at the church and invited to stay at her farm where a bath and a warm bed were on offer. I had been looking forward to visiting St Candida and Holy Cross Church in Whitchurch Canonicorum, since discovering it during the planning for my journey. Pilgrimage and Prayer The church in Whitchurch Canonicorum has always been of importance, mentioned by kings since the first century. Although the shrine itself dates from only the 13th century, the relics of St White could well be considered older. Perhaps they were the reason the very first wooden building was erected as a place to house the saint. Certainly, pilgrims have been travelling to the Cathedral of the Vale for hundreds of years. Maps of the surrounding area show all footpaths lead to the church, and in medieval times the highway from Brigport to Axminster was through Whitchurch. It is possible to walk in the pilgrim's footsteps today. At Shave Cross there is still a hostelry, and this is where pilgrims would have eaten and been shaved before continuing on their way to the shrine. The sick and the dying would have been carried into the church. Lepers may have been able to touch the shrine from the outside, as they would not have been allowed into the building. Inside the church there would have been candle makers ready to make up lengths of wick as an offering for a cure. During the Reformation all of this would have ceased, and no one knows how the shrine escaped the ravages of Cromwell's men. Today people still make their pilgrimages to the shrine to pray for the sick, and many testify that St White helps them. Extract from www.cathedralofthevale.co.uk My very generous welcomer and new overnight host, 
needed to get back home soon after I arrived at the church, and so I didn't have the opportunity to stop long. However, the following morning I tweaked my route very slightly, so that I could revisit the church before heading off on the next stage of my journey. There is a real, tangible sense of history here, and a powerful spiritual peace in the building. Earlier on my pilgrimage I reflected on the burdens I was carrying, and it was with much relief and perhaps some surprise too that I found myself laying some of them down here. About three or four years ago, I decided to try and write down some reflections on my thoughts and emotions during my son Ben's battle with cancer and since his death in 2009. At the time, I was hoping that doing so might help me to tackle some of the occasional dark days which would catch me by surprise. There were many times during Ben's illness that it seemed as if the situation was simply going to unravel everything that I believed in. And yet, day after day, I found what I already knew to be true being realised. My hope was found only in Jesus. When I felt that I was failing Ben and my family, when I struggled to know how to respond to other people, when I was overwhelmed with fear and anger, I found my hope in Jesus. I think that there were many times that I thought I had to do something to fix everything, to sort it out, to heal Ben. There were times when I beat myself up mentally and spiritually and times when my prayers were quite simply, give me the cancer instead, Lord. Extract from Jesus is Ben-shaped reflection. I cried a lot that morning in Whitchurch Canonicorum as I found myself simply giving up the feelings of guilt and blame that I had been holding on to for so long. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 to 39. The Pilsden Community Whitchurch Canonicorum to Pilsden Sanctuary and Hospitality Equality of Value Daily life here is punctuated by prayer times and meal times, and being community happens in and between these punctuations. This place is beautifully peaceful and peacefully beautiful, yet living in community takes practice and patience. There is a sense here that many people have worked hard and very carefully to make this place the oasis of calm that it is. Here I experienced gracious living where self-worth and the worth of others define daily life. Spending just 24 hours in Pilsden 
has given me the opportunity to participate in a full day of daily offices. 7.30 Eucharist, 8 o'clock breakfast, 12.45 prayers, 1 o'clock lunch, 6.30 evening prayer, 7.30 supper, 9.15 compline. Such a simple way of recentering yourself on a God way of gathering and regathering. For the Wayfarer Sanctuary at Pilsden is more than the basics. It offers safety from the elements, a clean dry bed, a shower, laundry, food and drink, companionship, a welcome into the community, no judgment, prayer. Extract from Reflections Notebook, Thursday, 3rd of August, 2017. Relaxing in the large day room during my stay at Pilsden, I was reminded of this American Indian prayer. O oh, great spirit, whose voice I hear in the winds, and whose breath gives life to all the world, hear me. I am small and weak. I need your strength and wisdom. Let me walk in beauty and make my eyes ever behold the red and purple sunset. Make my hands respect the things you have made and my ears sharp to hear your voice. Make me wise so that I may understand the things you have taught my people. Let me learn the lessons you have hidden in every leaf and rock. I seek strength not to be superior to my brother, but to fight my greatest enemy, myself. Make me always ready to come to you with clean hands and straight eyes. So when life fades, as the fading sunset, my spirit will come to you without shame. American Indian, Lakota, Chief Yellow Lark. 1887 Martin, Pilsden to Bridport May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you, wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Blessing from the Prayer Book at the Pilsden Community. As I set off from Pilsden, with this blessing in my heart, my head was full of thoughts and ideas inspired by what I had experienced in this wonderful place in just 24 hours. Arrived in Bridport this afternoon. A somewhat different sense of community to the one I left behind this morning. It has been nice to continue the relaxed pace of the last couple of days and to enjoy a bit of browsing in a second-hand bookshop. Some time just watching the world go by and catching up with Abby and Chris. It's Chris's birthday today and Abby is doing a grand job of organising surprises and the party. Time for some dinner and then retire to Childsmead Baptist Church, where I am staying tonight. 
Tomorrow I head for Portism and over the 250 mile mark. Extract from Facebook post, Friday 4th of August 2017. I spotted just one homeless person in Bridport, but everyone that I saw in the hour I sat in the street watching walked past as if he wasn't there. I spoke for a little while to Martin and asked him if he knew about Pilsden. He didn't, so I explained and drew a simple map of how to get there. Martin has been living rough for about three months. He had become homeless because he lost his job and couldn't pay the rent. He told me how he had moved to Weymouth for work 11 years ago and that he enjoyed his job and his life there. He laughed somewhat ironically when he told me how quickly he discovered that he didn't really have friends when things got difficult. He had stayed in Weymouth for a couple of months and then started moving just three weeks ago. We shared some sandwiches and water and I explained what I was up to and then Martin decided he would try and find his way to Pilsden that afternoon. He stuffed his life into his rucksack. We shook hands and I wished him well as he set off in search of sanctuary. Earlier in the day, I had observed some street preaching just a few hundred yards away from where I met Martin. I have always been uncomfortable with this form of evangelism. It seems impersonal, often judgmental and perhaps does more to solve the consciousness of the preacher than solve the troubles of the listener, although there didn't seem to be anyone stopping to listen today. Now, watching Martin disappear up the street, I wondered what preaching would have done for him. Sure, we are commissioned to go into the world, to make disciples and share the good news, but how can we ever hope to win the hearts of the lost? unless we meet them where they are and share the love of Jesus with them in a real, tangible way. Sanctuary, Bridport to Portisham. Ports and harbours that gather in boats of all sizes and types, sea defences, harbour walls and natural coves that provide safety from the storm, Waves are stilled, winds are calmed. Sanctuary. Extract from Reflections Notebook, Thursday, 3rd of August, 2017. Several years ago I came across the term thin places, used to describe special locations where the gap between heaven and earth, spiritual and secular, is at its thinnest. St. Gaston's Church near Langorse Lake is one of these thin places for me. And St. Catherine's Chapel, situated on a hill to the west of Abbotsbury, is another such place. This chapel was built by the monks of Abbotsbury Abbey as a place of retreat and pilgrimage. It is small, but even in its current bare condition it is possible to appreciate its grandeur. When I arrived here, seeking some rest for my very tired feet and knees, having walked for almost two miles along the pebbles of Chesil Beach, I was met by the most beautiful sound of singing from within the chapel. 
I sat outside for several minutes listening to the sound and looking out across the spectacular views and when I finally entered the building the owner of the wonderful voice was departing through the other door. It was as if the music was still floating around the cool shadowy space and I was deeply moved by the presence of spirit and peace here in this sanctuary. I think that we all need sanctuary from time to time. That special place that affords us the time and space to escape from the demands and challenges of life in this broken world. We live life so fast these days and trying to keep up with all that others expect of us or that we expect of ourselves is exhausting. What that place looks like is different for each one of us. For some, perhaps, it isn't a physical place, but is rather an attitude of mind. For others, maybe it is simply turning off the phone and closing down the computer. Prayer, silence, reflection, solitude, community, rest, comfort, security, peace, spirit. When the world threatens to overpower and overwhelm us, what great comfort we can find in the knowledge that our God is always with us. All we need to do is make space in our lives in order to see and hear him. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Psalm 139, verses 7 to 12. Memories. Portisham to Dorchester. Walking with company brings good conversation and a sense of shared purpose. Extract from Reflections Notebook, Sunday 6th of August 2017. Walking with Dawn and John today from Portisham across to Dorchester. It was good to have company on this day, the anniversary of Ben's death, and it kept me from spending the whole day thinking too much of unhelpful things. I know that part of this journey is about healing. Eight years since losing Ben, four years since the breakdown of my marriage. There are still days when, despite my words and confidence, I still feel so angry about Ben's death. I know that there is no answer to the question why, but it still rises up in my heart and head sometimes. Normally, I find anniversaries and special days quite easy to cope with. It is the moment in the everyday that catches me off guard. A conversation or the discovery of an object associated with Ben that can catch me out. Even now, visiting people at the hospital is also quite challenging. It feels wrong that I know my way around the building as well as I do, and walking past certain wards and clinics can be difficult.
that evening after a wonderful lunch with John and Dawn, and having settled myself in at the Baptist Church where I was staying in Dorchester, I took the opportunity to watch the film Dunkirk at the cinema. It is a beautifully made film and very moving, and as I made my way back to the church I found myself mulling two questions around in my head. How did people, family and loved ones, move on from that event? How do I really move on from these two events in my life and really leave them with God, completely? I'm not sure if I can, or if I'm supposed to. The power of memory is great, very great, my God. It is a vast and infinite profundity. Who has plumbed its bottom? The power is that of my mind and is a natural endowment, but I myself cannot grasp the totality of what I am. St. Augustine, Confessions, 10, 8, 15. been listening to musings from the manse thank you for listening